Well, thank you, team, for leading us in worship. Those are some powerful songs. Thank you, Trevor. Thanks, guys. As we um, step into this time of worship, let us begin with prayer, just offering this time before God um, as a sacred time, a holy time, where we're going to be getting into his word. Let us pray. Jesus, your name is powerful, the name above all names. You came to this earth. You became human. You set aside your glory as God most high. You loved us, you cared for us, and you died on our behalf because you wanted a relationship. You loved us. You wanted us to be with, us, with you and in heaven for all of eternity. And as we're going through the book of John, we're going through your story. I pray, Father, that, that this would be a time where we truly get to know you, get to know your heart. That this would be a time where we would set our hearts fully focused on you. Father, please remove the outside world, the troubles of life, the things that are going to happen right after service today. May we set those aside and may we focus on your word and on this time. Speak through me, Father. I just want to be a vessel used by you. Control my mind. Control my words. And to you be all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Good My name, if you guys don't know me, I'm Ryan Lanigan, part of the teaching team here at Barian Center Bible Church. Um, uh, Pastor Dan usually refers to me um, as the, uh, the professor because I really love to dive deep into God's Word, so we're going to do a little bit of that today. We've been going through a series together as a church through the book of John, starting from Christmas we began all the way through Easter. We're just going to read through John, chapter by chapter, and delve into some of the things that are there. And the grand scheme of what we're trying to communicate is that your story is better than you think. Your story is bigger than you think. And our premise is is that when you join God's family by believing in Jesus, you become a part of that amazing, eternal story. Jesus' amazing, eternal story. And that your story doesn't end with just believing in Jesus. It actually is the beginning. You see, we are a link in a long chain of people who have passed this story down. Jesus passed it to his disciples. They faithfully passed it to someone else who passed it to someone else, and it eventually came to us. And church family, it must not die with us. We need to pass that story on to someone else so that they can pass that story on to someone else, so that we all can be a part of this grander story that God is weaving together. That's how he designed it. Right now, personally, one of the ways that I am trying to pass this story along is to my children, okay? And I want to tell you a story about the connections that one of my kids made, because that's what this story is about. It's making connections. It's understanding who Jesus really is. And so um, right now, my oldest son, Zion, he is part of our quizzing program here, where they delve into memorizing large amounts of scripture. Right now, they're going through 1 Peter, 2 Peter, and all of the book of Hebrews. And then they'll go from church to church and kind of have a little competition to see, okay, so who, who knows it the best, and who can jump out of their seat the fastest? So they're, they're, they're combining memorization of scripture into the heart with fun, and it's really neat to see. But where they're memorizing um, in First Peter, there's a section of Scripture that says, if, if anyone would love life and see good days, he must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. 
Well, at home, one of the things that I try to do is at bedtime, um, if we get the kids to bed early enough, we'll read through a chapter in the Bible. And right now we're going through the book of Psalms. And we were reading through Psalm 34, and we read that exact verse. And my son goes, Dad, that's in First Peter. I'm memorizing that. And I'm like, you're right. You're getting it. You're making the connections that all of Scripture is connected. And personally, I love it when Scripture makes those connections. It makes the story of the Bible come to life. It makes Jesus' story come to life. And so that's what we're going to try to do today. We're going to try to make some connections to make this passage or this chapter of John come more to life. So in John chapter 2, actually, before I get too far, I, I, I want to give you a warning. Usually when we... When we do a sermon, we kind of start at the beginning of the chapter, and we kind of walk through and just kind of pick things out as we go. I want to let you know that's not what we're doing today. Today, we're actually, what, I'm going to do what I call a, a pyramid sermon. So I'm going to lay a foundation, and then I'm going to build on top of that a little bit, kind of reveal a little bit more, and then I'm ultimately trying to get to an apex, something really significant that you just can't understand unless you've understood these foundational things, okay? So that's just when you feel like, wait, is he jumping around? Nope, I'm just laying a foundation. Then I'm going back and laying another layer, and then we're trying to get to this apex, okay? So that's, that's my fair warning. In the first verse, first verses of John chapter 7, John sets this context. But soon it was the Jewish festival of shelters. Have you ever, have you ever like, been around like a foreign exchange student that comes uh, to the area and they're all trying to you know learn English they're trying to learn your culture and have you ever like tried to explain like what a holiday is like well what's this Halloween thing all about what's this Thanksgiving thing all about what's this Christmas thing all about I want you to imagine trying to explain the 4th of July in Eau Claire okay okay so we in the past we had we were with Britain and then you know we got free from Britain so we throw fireworks up in the air and oh and, and it's when the cherries come in so we like to like eat the cherries and then have competitions to spit them as far as possible. So you're saying you celebrate your country by spitting cherry seeds across the lawn. No, 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 it's not quite what I'm saying. Okay? But like the, 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 the trying to explain a festival to someone can be a little bit daunting. I mean, flip, flip the story. What if you were being exposed to a cultural thing? Let's say for Chinese New Year. That actually just happened this last week for Linda and Sarah. I mean, imagine trying to understand why here in America, they would still celebrate the Chinese New Year. What's so significant about it that they would still make mention of it and still celebrate it? Or even like if it's someone that you're trying to understand a, a different culture that is witnessing, like in a Muslim religion, what's up with this whole month of Ramadan where you're fasting and praying? Like, what's up with that? Imagine trying to either understand or trying to explain it. That's what we're going to do right here, right now, is try to give you a little insight into what it, why did John even bring up the fact that it was the Jewish festival of shelters? Big deal. Who cares? Let's look into it. There are five things I want you to know about the Jewish festival of shelters. Number one is what does it even mean? What does it even sig uh, signify? So if you go back to Leviticus 23, when God is establishing Israel as a nation, giving them their laws, giving them their festivals, giving them their temp or, uh, tabernacle, giving them the sacrifices, there are five festivals that God says, I want you to celebrate these festivals and you are to do it forever. This is super important that you do this throughout your time as a nation, okay? Now, the book of Hebrews in the New Testament looks back to some of those things that God did and said these are shadows to point 
to the Messiah, that these are shadows of things to come. Now, as a church, as a body, we understand two of the Jewish festivals because number, number, the first one is Passover. We understand that when we've had a Passover celebration here, um, usually before Easter, we'll have like a Good Friday on Thursday type of thing where we're actually kind of mem- uh, remembering the time when Jesus had his, his last supper with his disciples during Passover. So that one we kind of get. Then there's Pentecost. Pentecost is the second Jewish festival that was meant to be kept. We kind of get that one as well because in Acts 2, that's when the Holy Spirit comes down and there's some serious significant things that happen with that. But we're not as familiar with the other three. So I'll I'll go into that in just a second. But the one I want to focus on real quick is the, the Festival of Shelters. The Festival of Shelters was established by God to the Jewish people as a remembrance that God in heaven actually came down and walked through the wilderness with the people of Israel and dwelt with them in a tent, the tabernacle. So the festival of shelters is is to signify God dwelling with Israel or God dwelling with man. Now, to understand why that's so significant, I'm going to go back all the way back to Genesis 3. In Genesis 3, Adam and Eve are created. They're put in the Garden of Eden. And what does God do every evening with them? He walks with them. Every evening, he walks with them. He has relationship and he has fellowship with them every single evening. God was dwelling with man. And then sin came and that fellowship was broken. And God had to punish man. God had to turn his back on mankind. The fellowship was broken. Sin became the barrier. And in the midst of the judgment, there was an element of grace. Someone is coming who is going to undo this. This is not how I want the story to end. I want to have a relationship with you. I want to have a relationship with you. I want to have a relationship with you. Each person in this room, he wants to have a relationship with, but there's a barrier, sin. And so he places in the midst of his story a festival that says, one day I will get to dwell with you again, unhindered. That's foreshadowed once again when we get to the end of the Old Testament, the prophet Zechariah, he foretells of a time, a Messiah who comes, and I'll talk about this a little bit more in just a second, but he foretells someone's coming, and when he does and he establishes a kingdom, one of the key elements to that kingdom is a celebration of the festival of shelters, a celebration of God dwelling with man. And when we get to Revelation, the very end of the book of the Bible, the, when, when the new heavens and the new earth come down and, and the new Jerusalem is established and God reigns on this earth, The very first phrase out of celebration, an exclamation, it's done. God is dwelling with his people. He will be their God and they will be his people. The goal will be accomplished. So that's the significance of the Festival of Shelters. It is a foreshadowing, almost a prophecy of God's real heart to dwell in relationship with you unhindered together. And when we get to John 7, this is Jesus entering the scene, okay? I mean, he's got his, his ministry on earth, and we're in John chapter 7, and it's the festival of shelters, and this understanding of the festival will play a key significant part in understanding what's going on and what Jesus, when we get to this penultimate thing I'm going to talk about, why understanding the festival of shelters is so key to understanding that. So let's talk a little bit more. I, I mentioned how it's 
The last of the five gave you the meaning. Now I want you to understand the timing. So the spring festivals, Passover and Pentecost are in the spring. In the fall, you have three festivals. Again, they're all together. You have the Festival of Trumpets, which again um, is a calling of all the people to Jerusalem. The Day of Atonement, the one day a year when the priest can walk into the Holy of Holies, make atonement for all sin for the people. And then you have this Festival of Shelters. One of these things is not like the other. The other two fall festivals are a single day. This one is a week long. So already, that makes sense why Jesus is like, well, in the middle of the festival, midway through, and at the end of the festival, it's because it's a week long. But from the first fall festival to the end of the last fall festival, there's only three weeks that occur. Only three weeks. And how these, this type of festival works is all the people, God says, if you can make it to Jerusalem, I want you to be at Jerusalem. And so people stay from the first, fe- the first fall festival all the way through to the last fall festival. They're there for a full three weeks, which brings the people together and, t- and ties the nation close together um, uh, just as a people group. And then during the festival, there are certain things like Zechariah 14, where the people, like Zechariah 14 is one of the only other areas besides the law of Moses where the Festival of Shelters is actually mentioned. And in it, these are the elements. This is just a snapshot of Zechariah 14. Go and read it for yourselves, because it's fascinating how detailed it is. But it says, you know, a day of the Lord is coming. Anytime you hear a day of the Lord, or the day of the Lord, put your antenna out. This is probably messianic in nature. Okay, as you're reading through, through the prophets. And then it says the Messiah, or in the, script, you know, in the scripture it says the Lord, the Messiah will fight on behalf of Israel. His feet will touch the Mount of Olives and be split into two. The sun and moon won't shine yet. It will be as bright as day. Living water will flow from Jerusalem. The Messiah will establish himself as king on David's throne. And all the nations of the earth will celebrate the festival of shelters. Interesting. So eventually this won't be, this won't be just a Jewish thing. It will be everybody will celebrate the Festival of Shelters. So, with that in mind, how, how does this kind of play in? Like, with this knowledge, how does it tie into John? First, that time frame thing, okay? I've already mentioned, number one, that when you're reading through John, it says, you know, midway through the festival, and at the end of the festival, at, at the pinnacle of the festival, these things happen. So, you have, so that, that right there, we've already got a good understanding that this is, this is something much bigger than just a single day, a single uh, day, day for a festival. Number two, I want to go back and tie in some things. So if you are looking in your Bibles at John chapter 7, let's look at verse 21 where he's talking about um, the healing of the layman. He said, I did one miracle on the Sabbath and you were amazed, but you work on the Sabbath too when you obey uh, Moses' law of circumcision. For if the correct time for circumcising your sons falls on the Sabbath, you go ahead and do it so as not to break the law of Moses. So why should you be angry with me for healing a man on the Sabbath? Look beneath the surface so that you can judge correctly. Now, as Jesus is talking about that, doesn't that sound a little familiar? Like if Jesus was, you know, in Jerusalem and then he left, he fed the 5,000 and he had a lot of disciples leave when he said, eat my flesh and drink my blood, which we talked about last week. Like, isn't there like a big time frame for Jesus to talk about this in such a familiar way? Chances are, when Jesus healed the, the lame man, chapter 5, verse 1 says that he returned to Jerusalem for a Jewish festival. Chances are it was just about two weeks ago. Jesus is talking so familiar about this because it was only about two weeks ago. Now I want you to imagine here, um, imagine we got our, our people up here leading us in worship, Trevor's playing on the guitar, and then he strums the guitar, the, the guitar string breaks, 
jumps up, stabs him in the eye, okay? That was very painful. Sorry about that. But the point is, is that, you know, Trevor's like, oh, oh my goodness. And then Pastor Dan walks up and he goes, hey, bro, I got you. Be healed. All right, keep on going. Like, wouldn't that be a little fascinating? Wouldn't we all be like, oh, that was amazing. And then two weeks ago, wouldn't that still be fresh in our minds that that just happened? That's why Jesus is talking about this in such a familiar way. This is recent events to these people as he's talking about them, talking to them, okay? So again, that's just kind of giving you a little tidbit of, of how understanding this can play a factor in what, excuse me, went the wrong direction, play a factor in our understanding of things. But then let's actually go back also to um, the beginning of chapter 7 when Jesus' brothers are talking to him and, and they're, they're angry. They're angry and they're indignant towards him. And they say, leave here and go to Judea where your followers can see your miracles. You can't become famous if you hide like this. If you can do such wonderful things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers didn't believe him. Now I want you to, to take into consideration that if Jesus healed the lame man about two weeks ago, that means that probably within the last week, so this right here, what you got up on the screen is a calendar of this year, okay? So September 19th will be the Festival of Trumpets for the Jewish people. Day of Atonement will be September 28th, and the Festival of Shelters will be October 3rd through, through the 10th, okay? So that's what you're seeing up there. So if Jesus healed the lame man, let's just say he, he healed him on September 19th, he probably returned to feed the 5,000 sometime at or after September 28th. And then his brothers are asking him to leave to go back to Jerusalem around October 3rd. So within a week's period of time, when you read those words, his brothers have seen the highs and the lows of what Jesus just did. Healed a man, fed the 5,000 with bread and fish, like a couple of them. He, like, he had scraps to work with. And then lost all of those followers because he wouldn't just simply be their king. He wanted them to understand who he truly was and what he was trying to do. And so the, his brothers are looking at me like, way to go, Jesus. You really know how to win the crowds, trying to be king and sending them all away. Hey, why don't you go to Jerusalem? Try it again. Do it right this time. All your followers are going to be there. Oh, wait, you don't got any followers because you made them all go away. Like, can you understand a little bit more why they're a little angry? Why they're a little indignant? Because it just happened. All of this just happened. They watched their brother bomb badly in their minds. He ain't got a clue how to do this thing. What makes him think he's the Messiah? Okay. And Jesus says, it's not my time yet. You guys go. I'm not going yet. After, he le after they left, he secretly went. He comes to the festival, and he starts to have conversations with the crowd. And this is the next thing that I want you guys to, to see is what the conversation looked like for the crowds. Because again, if the first thing was that there's this, this timeline that helps us to understand John 7, due to an understanding of the festival, there's also this messianic expectation due to Zechariah 14 that's also embedded into the festival. Okay? And I want you to see this. Okay? So again, in Zechariah 14, we're talking about how the Messiah will come victoriously how he will establish a strong kingdom, how his dominion will be over all the nations. And they're like legitimately excited about this. I mean, imagine if we had a prophecy saying on the 4th of July, someone's going to come, going to um, um, create peace throughout the world, and everyone's going to celebrate that by throwing fireworks in the air on Independence Day. Every time we had a 4th of July celebration, we'd be like, oh, cool, one day, this is going to be much bigger than what it is right now. Like, we're going to be the bomb, okay? So the Jewish people have a, a certain bit of expectation with this with this festival, like the, the Messiah will come. 
The Messiah will reign as king, which, by the way, like when he fed the 5,000, it said, and they wanted to make him king right then and there. It's because some of this is, they're anticipating the festival of shelters. Their understanding of the the Messiah coming was to reign as king, kick Rome's butt, and move on. Like that was what their expectations were. And he's kind of blowing their expectations. It's like, guys, that will happen. Not yet. It's not my time. Okay? But with all that in mind, okay, they have this expectation. Jesus is saying and doing things that cannot go ignored. Okay? He's healing people and making them whole. He's feeding the thousands. He's teaching them things they've never heard with, in a powerful and compelling way. And he's challenging the status quo, which is making the religious leaders really mad. What Jesus is saying, what Jesus is doing, cannot go ignored. And so they're talking about with all this expectation. And look at some of the things that they say. He's a good man. He's nothing but a fraud who deceives the people. How does he know so much? You're an idiot. You're demon-possessed. Could our leaders possibly believe that he is the Messiah? Isn't this the man they're trying to kill? The Messiah comes from the line of David and will come from Bethlehem, not Galilee. When the Messiah comes, he'll just appear. No one will know where he comes from. Would you expect the Messiah to do more miraculous signs than this man has done? Some even wanted to arrest him. This man is the prophet that we've been expecting. He is the Messiah. We've never heard anyone speak like this before. Do you sense it? Do you sense that messianic expectation that's kind of boiling under the surface? the people because that's part of what's going on they're trying to figure out is he the one that will fulfill what we're expecting in this festival okay and i'm going to pause there's one more thing that i want again i want to talk to you guys about but i want to get personal for, for just a moment while we're talking about the crowds and what they're saying how are we responding to jesus how are we responding to this story are we going to be like the crowds that are divided confused debating I want you guys to realize, and you know, some of, a lot of people in this room believe in Jesus, but there are some people in this room, Jesus is nothing more than an intellectual debate. Don't go that path, okay? He's not just about finding facts out about him, trying to figure out this, that, the other thing, while it's always out here on the outside, hmm, that's interesting, without actually becoming a part of the story analyzing the facts, making an intellectual debate without becoming a part of the story does you no good. Stop sitting on the fence. Sitting on the fence is nothing more than apathy. Okay? You have to work through questions. You have to work through doubts. It is not wrong to have questions and doubts. Even Jesus' disciples doubted him after he rose from the dead, was about to ascend into heaven. It says they worshipped him, but some doubted. It's okay if you have doubts. It's okay if you have questions, but don't sit there apathetically. Work through them. Everyone in this room has at least one question that they don't understand. For instance, for me, I don't understand why God would even care about humanity. We ate the, we ate the apple, we sinned, big deal. The angels sinned, no, no salvation offered for them. We sinned immediately, I want to spend time with you. I don't understand why. It's a mystery to me. I'll find out one day. But I do understand this. Jesus is the Messiah. He is who he says he is. And I get to spend eternity with him and ask him any question I want to I ask him when that time comes. Right now, I know but a shadow of things. Then I will know more fully. If you're sitting on the fence, work through your doubts. Work through your questions. 
The Pharisees also responded. They were angry beyond reason. Take a look again at some of the things that, um, that they were saying. We don't believe in Jesus, therefore no one should. Oh, okay. If you do believe in Jesus, you're stupid. No prophet has ever come from Galilee, therefore no prophet ever will. And are you from Galilee too? That was to Nicodemus. They were shaming him. Like, these are the responses. Do we respond in similar fashion? Or do we respond like, I just don't want to believe in Jesus? Okay? Logic isn't even a part of the equation. Watch out for that. Lastly, here's where I want to get, to you, get with you, for you guys, is, yes, responding in belief, but look at how Jesus draws this out. He says in John 7, 38, rivers of living water will flow from the heart of anyone who believes in me. Compare that to Zechariah here real quick. On that day, living water will flow out of Jerusalem. Now, the prophecy is talking about an actual river flowing out of Jerusalem, but this living water Let me tell you the extent of what this living water can do. You find this in in Ezekiel, you'll find this in Revelation. This living water will flow to the Mediterranean Sea, but it will also flow to the Dead Sea. And the Dead Sea, has anyone been to the Dead Sea? Okay. Is there anything alive in that thing? No. Nothing's alive. But this water, when it flows to Jerusalem, will take the Dead Sea and revert it back into a freshwater spring where all sorts of, of life will teem from it. And on each side of the river, a tree will grow that will bear fruit each and every month, and the leaves are used for, for medicinal purposes. It, will he- it says it will heal the nations. That's how much life flows from this river that is prophesied about in Zechariah 14. And Jesus is saying, if you drink from me, if you believe in me, rivers of living water will flow from you. And he says this was in anticipation of the Holy Spirit. After he died and he rose from the dead, he was going to give the gift of the Holy Spirit to people, and it would be a river of living water. People of God, this is no small matter. Jesus is taking the festival, an element of it, and he's promising the greatest gift that he could ever give us. If the Holy Spirit, as believers, makes his home in our hearts, it then becomes God's dwelling place. Festival of shelters. God dwelling with man. It's the goal of what he's trying to do. The Holy Spirit residing within you, making, God, making you um, God's dwelling place, making you a part of his family, making, you know, I mean, we've got God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and now us in the midst of that relationship. That puts me in awe. But it also is a huge responsibility, not because, like, I now control the Holy Spirit and he is my genie, come and do my bidding. No, it's quite the opposite. I am a vessel for his use. As a believer, the the Holy Spirit lives within me. Rivers of living water flow from me to speak God's word, to touch a life, to make his love known, his story to be told. We are not meant to be a lake, bringing people in to sit in these pews, and that's it. We are meant to be a river flowing, reaching out, sharing love. Quick story, my dad, when I went to go visit him, I was like, hey, can I get on your internet? He's like, actually, here's my phone, it's a hotspot. Now you can get on. And, and wherever he went, he can give people internet access. And if I strayed too far from him, I could no longer have internet access. People of God, we, like, like in the same way, with the Holy Spirit within us, living water flowing from us, we have impact in the sphere of influence that, we're, that we are, reside in. In other words, I work at Great Lakes Eye Care with, eye, with, with amazing eye doctors, My sphere of influence is there. You guys may not have access to those people. 
That's my sphere of influence, that the Holy Spirit can flow from me, that I can share the story and let people drink from Jesus and then water flow from them. You guys have a sphere of influence that I don't have. I don't have access to those people. But the Holy Spirit is asking, will you allow me to work through you? You drank from me. Living water flows within you. Have you turned off the tap? Or are you a vessel that allows him to flow through you? Is there hurt in your heart? Reveal the deep recesses of your heart to the Holy Spirit. This, heal, this living water heals, restores, takes the dead sea, makes it alive again. The same power of the Holy Spirit is the gift Jesus gives if we drink from him, if we believe in him. And that is no small matter. When you join God's family by believing in Jesus, you become a part of his amazing eternal story. Your story is better than you think. It is bigger than you can imagine. Let us pray. Jesus, thank you for this opportunity just to get into your word, to understand a little bit more of of this Jewish festival and the impact that it has when you spoke about the living water and what that really means, what it alluded to. Thank you for your gift of dying on the cross and yet also for your gift of the Holy Spirit. Father, as a body of believers, may we not be afraid of the Holy Spirit, but learn to get to know him as he is, the living water, the counselor, the source of truth, as he hears it from you. May we glorify you in all that we say and do this next week. In Jesus' name, amen.